Last week on HPH, we began the story of the young Corsican immigrant who would become a French general. He would then lead the French army to victory over the Austrians in northern Italy, and then head south on a conquest of Egypt, while being cucked by his wife the whole time. In this episode, we're picking up where we left off and telling you about his rise to political power and the many, many battles that followed. Grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History titled Napoleon Bonaparte, Part 2, Meet the New Boss. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Why, hello there, listener. Welcome in to another fantastic episode of 100 Proof History. As Chris mentioned in the introduction, we are talking about Napoleon again. This is a a three-parter, and you are being blessed today with part number two. Mm-hmm. Um, we will further explore Napoleon's life, his conquests, his um, incel-ridden love life. Yeah, seems accurate. accurate yeah, it's fair, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. yeah, looking forward to it. Pretty excited to continue this story. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying it. Greg, I did want to bring up something, something that has been brought to my attention by listeners, and that is, you know, I we appreciate our listeners and our fans and all that. Very, very appreciative. But please, if your favorite episode was like episode two, don't tell us it was your favorite episode, because that makes me feel like shit. Like, my, my stupid, like, hate myself brain immediately goes... Oh, what was wrong with the other 78 that's happened since then? What's fucking wrong with those? <laughs> so, I, and I get what they're doing. You know, they're trying to be not, oh, this was my favorite. Well, fuck you. I haven't gotten better. Th- fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you too, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Here's your fucking autograph. God damn it. I liked you better than when you were 15. How does that feel, <laughs> fucking idiot? <laughs> but uh, going down the road... Of Napoleon, uh, and something we've started doing as a show, as you know, this this all started as a yuck yuck ha ha history thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but somewhere along the way, listener, we matured, and we started actually uh, instead of just reading the books and regurgitating the information, we've actually started to find the information for ourselves. Yep, and release it onto the world. Yeah, we are super dedicated to you guys. You have no idea how hard we work for you to find. Stuff no one else has ever seen, heard, Mm -hmm. you know, brand new stuff. And you got a glimpse of that when we did the episode on the uh, Space Shuttle Challenger with the Lost Larry Malloy studio recording. Right, yeah. You got that from us. You're not going to get that anywhere else. And I am pleased, Chris, you don't even know about this, I'm pleased today to introduce uh, even more uncovered, unheard audio that we have on our subject, Napoleon. You... You found audio from the Napoleonic era? I did. That's uh, amazing. I was able to track down his wife Josephine's missing cell phone. What? And I had a big brain moment, and I was able to charge it. Mm-hmm. it you know, it was rudimentary cell phone technology back then, but I was mm-hmm. able to charge it back up. And um, not a lot was recoverable, but I did get access to the voicemails. Oh, that's that's yeah. exciting. That's, oh, man, I'm... I can't believe this. This is groundbreaking stuff. Right? 
yeah, people are going to, yeah, this got to be worth a lot of money. People are going to be clamoring for it, but. 100 Proof History. Remember the name. Yeah. Giving it to you for free. Let's, let's hear it, man. Let's hear it. All right. Wolf Dick, let it roll. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Josephine! <laughs> is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you finish recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yes, hello, dear. I miss you oh so very much. I've just been busy on my campaign in Italy, but I can't stop thinking about you. I wish you'd write me more, or maybe call me, but that's okay. I know you're busy living a stressful life as a stay-at-home wife without kids. <laughs> I love you. Write me, okay? Goodbye. Hey, it's me again. Just thinking about you, as usual, so figured I'd call you to say I love you. I can't wait to see you again. We can do that thing where we pretend you're the gentleman and I'm the lady. <laughs> we can even use that thing you keep under the mattress. Okay, love you. Bye. It's me again. Funny thing. Someone else was just calling me and I know there isn't call waiting while the phone is ringing. So I was calling back to make sure you hadn't called while the phone was busy. If you did, call me back. If you didn't, also call me back. Okay. I love you. Goodbye. What the fuck did I do to deserve this complete lack of respect, you cunty whore? All I've ever done is be a nice guy that loves you. You now owe it to me to be kind and loving. Call me back. Look, I am sorry for that last message. Just that I love you, and when I don't think you love me too, it makes me go a little crazy. Call me back. Hey, babe, it's the Nepose. Just calling to say what up. Oh, just chilling here in Italy, having a super fun time with my bros on the beach. These hot chicks came and were hitting on me, but I told, told them off and said I was in love with the most beautiful creation in the world. They were all pissed and totally looked like sluts. <laughs> Wish you were here, call me back. Nepal's out. Listen here, you fucking bitch. How could you do this to someone? You obviously have no capacity for empathy or any other emotion. I've been nothing but a nice guy and you constantly shit on me for it. I've heard the rumors about Hippolyta Cheryl, but I was just trying to get past it. But no, you fucking hate being treated well, apparently. What does he have that I don't? He's just another Chad that's going to use and abuse you, and you'll regret not being kinder to me. You'll realize I'm the only one that's ever truly loved you and your black teeth. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm sorry. Just return my call so we can talk about it. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Josephine. I don't want to run anything with you. You're the love of my life. Please call me back, Josephine. <laughs> the mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. That was amazing. Wow. I can't believe that we have that. That was the best thing I've heard in a long time, so. Message deleted. Oh, shit. What What was that? What just happened? Uh, I just erased all those messages. <laughs> oh, God, no. At, old... at least it's in the historical archives of these episodes. Right? The only place you'll ever hear it again is surrounded God by dick jokes. Damn it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's that old cell phone technology. Those old Nokia phones are famously touchy with the voicemails. Oh, well. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, though. You can still play, like, Snake on it. 
And that's probably what Josephine was doing, just playing Snake and running that little thing around there, trying to get the dots, and he kept bringing it. She's like, shut up, hit the ignore button, so she keep playing her game, you know, trying to make that <laughs> snake grow. And Napoleon never got past the little first beginner snake. Because <laughs> no, he had a small pee-pee. The one and a half inch snake, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, uh, why don't you tell us about our sources? All right. As last week, we have the same sources this week. Uh, mine was Napoleon, A Life by Andrew Roberts. Yes, and mine was the creatively named Napoleon by J. Christopher Harold. Yep. Uh, both very good books. Both recommended to you guys. But, uh, you know, I'm just ready to dive into this story. Honestly, I'm just ready to keep on keeping on. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. When we left you, it was early 1799, and Napoleon and the French had just taken the city of Cairo from the Arabic Mamluk tribe. He wrote to the ruling board of France, known as the Directory, that he planned to capture all of Syria and push on to India, but that was all wishful thinking. In reality, he was low on manpower and supplies, but he still wanted to see how far east he could make it. Yeah, little known fact here, guys. Um... That song, East Bounded Down, from Smoking the Bandit, that was actually written during this campaign. There was a guy on the banjo, just rocking it out. East Bounded Down, loaded up and trucking. We gonna do what they say can't be done. Well, it turned out it couldn't be done. He didn't have the supplies. But, hit song. And so, we just kept that going. for close. Yeah, another 200 years. Finally, Burt Reynolds made it famous. Little known fact. Just throwing that out there for you. Well, first up on his campaign was the city of Jaffa. Taking the city took a little effort, and the men defending it had been previously captured by the French and set free on the condition that they didn't fight anymore. So, they lied. They were a bunch of lying liars. And since they lied, Napoleon had them led to the coastline, lined up, and shot. Jesus Christ, I thought they were just supposed to set your pants on fire. <laughs> I know they're going to do this shit. This is horse shit. And we're not even wearing pants. We're wearing the long thing that you wear in the Middle East. Oh, I'm so insensitive. I can't think of that. what that's called. History. And Greg knows. He's just not going to tell anybody. He's like, you learn it, bastards. I'm watching you dig your hole. <laughs> the French army then took to pillaging the city of Jaffa and raping all the women. Unfortunately for the French, and a little bit of historic poetic justice, the city was suffering a massive bubonic plague outbreak, and it spread through the French army like wildfire. Couldn't have happened to a better force. Right? The army then pressed on to the city of Accra. Napoleon had sent for reinforcements, but they were captured by British ships on their way through the Mediterranean. Over the next nine weeks, Napoleon laid siege to the city, but between his manpower issues, the plague and a new outbreak of malaria, he wasn't able to crack the city's defenses. And, little known fact, the French were so low on ammo that Napoleon had to resort to paying soldiers to wander around the battlefield and collect cannonballs that the enemy had fired at them. You should pick the stupid soldiers to do that. Okay, you're not going to do me any good anyway. Here's five bucks. Just go pick up some shit on the battlefield, you know? Just make yourself useful. <laughs> At one point during the siege, the English showed up to reinforce the city. Under the truce of a white flag, the English general delivered newspapers to Napoleon that revealed that shit was falling apart in France. Britain, Austria, and Russia had joined a coalition to fight the French Republic. 
the other French generals had lost in Germany. Everything Napoleon had captured in Italy had been lost, and royalist sympathizers were revolting in the Vendee region once again. It was then that Napoleon decided to abandon Acre and head back to France. His dream of becoming the next Alexander the Great died right there. Uh, it's not actually true. Yeah? No, he was still thinking that shit when he was, spoiler alert, going into Russia. Because he was like, man, India is as close to Russia as we are here, so, you know, by having the polar ice caps at our back, we'll be able to push down. It's the perfectly defensible position. He And he was constantly referencing Alexander this whole time. Yeah. So he, he maintained that dream. He wouldn't get as close as he did right here, probably, but... Yeah, sometimes... He maintained it. Yeah, sometimes our dreams are dead and we don't even realize it. Like, we just keep on producing mediocre episodes of podcasts, hoping someone will latch on, hear it, and, you know, become big and famous. Yeah, uh, sometimes that happens to people. I've heard. I don't know. You know. Just listen to, like, an episode, call us up, be like, hey, baby, see y'all ever been to Hollywood? <laughs> right? Just use us. Happens all the time. Leave us on the side of the road, coked out of our minds. <laughs> covered in semen. Just covered in it. <laughs> yeah, but we'll be like Dexy's Midnight Runners. We'll still play Come On. Eileen, 40 years later, they're still going to be playing this episode of the podcast. (laughs) And honestly, it was worth the dream. It was. It really was. It's like buying a lottery ticket. Yep. I lived life. That's all I'm going to say. You know? I just... (laughs) I didn't sit on the sidelines. I got fucked over in Hollywood. Coked out of my (laughs) mind. Hey, the coke was free. (laughs) Right? I mean, the baby I've got to raise because I'm pregnant now, that's not free, but yeah, you know, I had a good time. Joining Scientology was a big mistake. I owe them a lot of money. Fuckers. <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that. They'll come for me. They'll fucking come after me, man. I'll wake up and Tom Cruise is going to be holding a gun to my head tonight. He's removed all of his teeth except that middle that one. That middle he tooth. Fucking oh. chomps into you. <laughs> drinks your blood. <laughs> Classic Tom Cruise. Blood for Xenu! Blood for Xenu! <laughs> Blood for Xenu! That was a good history point, Greg. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Napoleon arrived back in Paris in October of 1799 and went straight to his wife, Josephine. While he was gone, he had learned that she had been cheating on him for, you know, just their entire marriage. And now, it was time for comeuppance. Gonna lay down the fucking law. It's a scenario. Hippolyta already come up and cite me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do not understand this uh, comeuppance. (laughs) Uh, Is that English? I I lost that phone a long time ago. Oh, did you call? I was in a no no service area. I'm, I'm sorry. This is my bad. <laughs> I called you back. Did you not get my calls? Uh, just, uh, just saying. I uh, sent you some. You didn't get it? You know what I bet happened? Somebody else was calling you when I called. Yeah. That's no, what I bet happened. No call then, waiting. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, they fought very publicly in the street, just screaming and yelling and screeching at each other all throughout the afternoon. And that night, they got back together. Like, his brother walked in the next morning and saw him and Josephine laying in bed together. 
you know, him all up in her lap, curled up, just running his fingers through her chest hair. She's smoking a cigarette through her black teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're laughing at Calvin and Hobbes together. You know, just couple stuff. Couple stuff. Couple goals, let's be honest. Yep, that's true. Well, from there on out, Josephine was completely and totally loyal to Napoleon. And he fucked everything that moved. Just go and get it while the getting's good. Greg, when you're famous, they let you do it. Like, I knew she was married, but I just moved on her like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, quote from one of our U.S. presidents. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's the kind of facts you learn in a history book. It's going to be on his, at his presidential library, the bust of him. I moved on her like a bitch. When you're famous, <laughs> they just let you do it. <laughs> oh, boy. The directory was hot pissed at Napoleon because he had abandoned Egypt without orders from them to do so. But he was so damn popular in Paris, they couldn't really do shit about it. Meanwhile, one of the directory members, Abbe Siez, was plotting to overthrow the government and figured that Napoleon could be the useful idiot muscle to make that happen. And this part of the story actually reminds me of uh, Hitler's rise. And I know we talked about this before, how Napoleon is compared to Hitler. But when Hitler was leading the Nationalist Socialist Workers Party of Germany, the people there who were actually in charge of it kind of thought he was a useful idiot, like he was just going to drive up recruiting you know he's good at giving speeches so they thought hey let's just get this guy involved he'll help the cause and i'll rise to power well, this kind of the same thing happens with napoleon they're like hey this motherfucker right here let's get him involved people love him so they'll join our cause popular guy yeah that's the same reason conan o'brien is the current leader of the nazi party in america people don't know that can i say that i can't say that can you say can that? say that yeah i can say that on November 9th, 1799, Napoleon's brother Lucien, who was president of the lower legislative house known as the Council of 500, convinced everyone that the Jacobins were going to take over the country. And again, if you guys don't remember, the Jacobins are the political party that was most involved in the revolution and the formation of the republic and, you know, Maximilian Robespierre, all this stuff that happened way back in 1792-93. And you just need to listen to episode 35. You wouldn't hear that shit. Correct. The directory moved out of Paris and voted to make Napoleon their protector and commander of all the troops in Paris. Then the directory dissolved itself. It's like a, a regular uh, little group of Alka-Seltzers just giving a bunch of fucking orders, voting on stuff, and they just jump in some water. Mm -hmm. Feel my effervescence. <laughs> <laughs> And they're gone, yeah. which is good because one of them molested children, so he really should not be on this earth anyway. I didn't know that. Is that a true history fact? That one of the Alka-Seltzers in my scenario molested <laughs> children. Yes, that is a true history fact in my head. <laughs> I thought Jesus you meant the directory. Christ. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, probably them too. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> they can't sue us. They're fucking dead. Ha! <laughs> I'm sorry, Conan. <laughs> well, the following day, Napoleon marched into the Council of 500 and said they had all fucked up the government and a new constitution was needed. This would be like constitution number like 20 these guys were on. Like every time somebody got pissy about something, like, fuck it, new constitution. 
They're writing this shit on toilet paper. Just flush that motherfucker and keep going. Well, and, you know, a lot of new governments are like that. Right. They rewrite constitutions or even after a while they rewrite constitutions. I think you're just used to the exception where we actually added to a constitution a whole bunch. Yeah. And then just fucking stopped and people are digging their heels in about it. <laughs> and they're completely inflexible on issues. Right. That are, uh, you know, a couple hundred years old. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we, I think we've talked about that before, where the U.S. was kind of the exception, where the transition from one form of government to another was fairly smooth. Like, there wasn't a big, constant upheaval, power vacuum, all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, you're right about the amendments, where people just dig in. They pick their favorite amendment... And, uh, you know, nothing can ever change about that. I, I, no, man, I, that's a constitutional goddamn right. And I always wonder about those people where, like, if you asked them, like, have you actually read this stuff? Like, no. Or they wouldn't say no, but yeah, I know my stuff. And you're like, well, what do you think about the 18th Amendment? You think that was a good idea? And they'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, it was. Okay. Well, let's just put down that beer, buddy. And, uh,. <laughs> I I can imagine one out of every hundred people actually sitting down, reading the Constitution, the Articles, the Amendments, and knowing this shit off the top of their head. It, maybe not even that many, but like you said, they'll they'll pick their favorite amendment and they'll just fucking latch oh, onto sure. it. Yeah, whether you're ardent about the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, my go-to is always like, "Oh yeah, but what about that Third Amendment?" Oh, that's my favorite. Soldier yeah. steps foot in my fucking house. You listen here, motherfucker. Yeah. You're not staying here for free. <laughs> yeah. You're not staying in my backyard. I know you'll fuck my wife when I'm at work. <laughs> and I know she'll fuck you. <laughs> she can't third, help I, it. Die for the Third Amendment. <laughs> I respect that you fought for my right to have this Third Amendment, but you get the fuck off my property. Yeah, you, know, you know, I was in the military, so I could make... <laughs> get the fuck out of my house military jokes. That's true. I was doing it the whole time I was in. <laughs> <laughs> Call my fellow Air Force brother. Get the fuck out of my house, military. <laughs> I don't have to quarter you. <laughs> the four of you get out. Stop quartering my wife. Literally. <laughs> no, sir. We said corn holding. <laughs> but but quartering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Back to the story. <laughs> well, a fight broke out in the chamber, and someone smacked Napoleon with the hilt of a sword. And bloodied his nose, and there's stories about how he almost passed out. Like, oh, oh my God, my own blood. Only once he saw the blood, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they had to give him a paper bag so he could just hyperventilate in it. Because he saw it on TV once, and he thinks it works. Well, it does work. Does it? Yeah, it shows you how you're breathing. You have to inflate the bag, deflate the bag. Oh. I you're not hyperventilating, holding on to too much CO2. Uh-huh. Gets in your bloodstream, makes you pass out. Oh. I thought it was just like everybody was like me, and I just need to smell like hamburgers, and it'll calm me down. Get some french fries in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You guys want to go to Whataburger or what? <laughs> down? Oh, lower the wheelchair fucking lifter on my white van. Thank you. Sir, you realize you passed out and caused a 20-car pileup, right? Well, I mean, I can't get a fucking hamburger. I thought this was America. Jesus Christ. Load me up in my van, take me to McDonald's. Oh. <laughs> Sir, there's, I think there's too much candy in here to fit your wheelchair. Oh, <laughs> my God. What's this small body bag? Oh, just throw the candy on that. <laughs> Don't mind the smell. <laughs> uh, that's just my leg. 
It's just, you know, diabetes and stuff, you know, it's just my leg. <laughs> they let me keep it at the VA. <laughs> yeah. There's like a cell phone ringing in the bag. What is that? What is the, like someone's trying to track down somebody? No. no, no. That's my leg phone. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's just Napoleon. He's trying to fuck me again. I'm ignoring his calls. Well, at that point, Napoleon's brother Lucian broke up the fighting and called in guards to have the Jacobin tossed out. It was then decided the council would adjourn for three months and France would be run by three consuls. Napoleon and former directory members Roger Ducot and Abbe Cies. Well, Napoleon waited one entire whole day before working to seize power for himself. He spread propaganda throughout the city about how great he was and how much he believed in national unity. The chairman of the committee to create a new constitution bought that bullshit hook, line, and sinker. He proposed that Napoleon be made first consul for ten years. Basically, Napoleon would be in charge of deciding on every new law and political decision while living on a modest civil servant salary of only 500,000 francs a year. It's a lot of sausage, Gregory. Is it? Franks. It's a lot of Franks. Oh, no. That <laughs> flew right over my head. I'm stupid. <laughs> feels so dumb. Like, yes, he could buy a lot of sausage with that 500,000, you know, French currencies. I, mean, I don't understand what you're saying, idiot. Ugh, that's a <laughs> stupid joke. And then you reenact the entire joke right after the joke. Yes. <laughs> That's how you know it's good. That's how you know it's good. When, <laughs> when people don't get it, and then you reenact it right after to explain <laughs> to them yes. why they didn't get it. Here's why, why you're stupid, have. and you should applaud me. <laughs> That's why my stand-up set did not go well, by the way. <laughs> Got hostile very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have brought that gun, and I shouldn't have drank before I started, but... <laughs> It's open mic night, man. Anything goes. Anything goes. Fucking Michael Richards is like, I mean, I know I should have left that word of my vocabulary at home, but I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> right? That crowd was pissing me off. And I'm Kramer, goddammit. <laughs> he's looking at his note card that's written on there, and he's, he's thinking about it. Like, no, I shouldn't do it. Should, ah! <laughs> and then just leans in. I'm untouchable! <laughs> Well, anyway, in February of 1800, the new constitution was voted on by the people of France. Allegedly. Somehow, only 25% of the country voted, and of that group, 99.5% of them voted to make Napoleon the first consul of France. Eh, it's fine. Everybody, everybody really loves him. You know, just uh, very few objectors, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even if those numbers were slightly doctored, Napoleon actually was immensely popular for his policies, which drove up the economy by creating the Bank of France, lowered crime in the rural areas by creating an organized police force, and brought back Christmas and Easter to the people. He would be a hallmark star. Right? <laughs> that, that's not a joke, people. He didn't, uh, this isn't like the Grinch returning the presents. Like, the Catholic Church had been driven out of the the nation, basically, and he brought it back. He said, hey, you guys can celebrate Jesus and his birth and death and resurrection and have, have a good time. 
That's what I'm here for. I'm Napoleon. Just, just here to have a good time. And, uh, you know, bitch about my wife to anybody who listen. Just a fucking bitch. Just fucking. You heard about this guy, Hippolyte Charles? This fucker. I don't think he's that funny. You know, he's got like a YouTube videos where he like pranks homeless people by giving them fake $50 bills and she's just laughing her ass off and like, use my credit card to subscribe to his shit. And, you know, this is. I think something's going on between them. That's all I'm saying. She's been in a few of his videos, and they cut off suspiciously early. They just fucking stop. Now give me another Jack and Coke. Uh, <laughs> Monsieur, here we call that the Black Tooth Green. <laughs> hey, fuck you! That's a personal dig, and I know it, goddammit! <laughs> Talking about my wife's black teeth. <laughs> you don't talk about her i can talk about her you shut your fucking mouth bartender where's your spit tune i got a mouthful of tobacco <laughs> and to make sure people continue to love him napoleon went ahead and shut down 60 newspapers because they had printed articles that weren't favorable to his rule yeah one of them just printed an article that was just it was like a paragraph and a recipe and it was a recipe for a black tooth grin he's like shut that motherfucker down Shut it down. It's horseshit. You know what? Send him in the fucking guillotine while we're at it. <laughs> uh, Monsieur, that's a guillotine. Send you to the fucking guillotine, too! <laughs> With things stable in Paris, it was time to go to war. Things are stable. Let's destabilize them. This is fucking boring. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the one night my wife and I get along, I just, like, I I turn on the season two part of Game of Thrones, or that husband of what's her name, Marjorie Tyrell, is just making out with uh, another a guy. He's making out with another guy, and we just kind of like watch that together. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting, right? And she's like, go back to your tent upstairs. Just go back upstairs, sleep there for the night. Yes, yes, it was too stable for me. <laughs> okay, it wasn't worth it. It's oddly <laughs> it <wasn't> specific. <laughs> Every, I feel like every couple has those situations, though. I, I feel like we can all relate to that, right? Everyone has like a the tent. guy that's, like, guiding somebody through the forest, and you're like, oh, it's right down this path. And the path just suddenly kind of ends, but you're just, you're too embarrassed to admit it, so you just, like, start forcing your way through this <laughs> fucking brush foliage. Like, no, it's right through here, I promise. <laughs> yeah. You just won't admit it that yeah. you, you went to a dead end. Yeah, I'm Jim Jones. I'm like, oh, yeah, when we get to this jungle, it's going to be fan-fucking-tastic. I'm going to love everything about it. <laughs> In May of 1800, Napoleon snuck his troops across the Alps, Hannibal-style, to attack the Austrians. It's my favorite way to get a burger in and out by the way. What, you just tuck your penis and you wear a little kimono? <laughs> yeah, got, oh, that wasn't Hannibal. That was Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I, for, I forget they're different movies. You're right. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I was just making an animal style joke, but okay, we'll go with Yeah, I know. I just, you know, I wanted to incorporate a penis in there, <laughs> or a hidden penis, if you will. <laughs> oh, that's why your paintings are my favorite. Like, oh, let's see if we can find it. Let's see if we can find the hidden penis. Greg's <laughs> snuck in here. Napoleon left Paris after his soldiers, and by the time he got caught up, one of his armies was stuck in a city that was under siege. Now, a normal general of that time would have attempted to break the siege, 
Napoleon said, fuck those guys in particular, abandon those troops that were stuck in the city, and outflank the Austrian army. On June 14th, Napoleon approached the city of Marengo with 15,000 troops, believing he was advancing on the Austrian rearguard. That's my favorite sex position. <clears throat> what he wasn't aware of was the Austrians had turned back, and he was about to face an army that was twice as large as his. Napoleon sent word for reinforcements, then spent the day slowly retreating. Once his reinforcements arrived, he sprang forward, and they routed the Austrians. And just like that, Napoleon had control of northern Italy once again. And going forward, you guys are going to kind of notice, like, these battles. It's very strange uh, to think about modern terms, because we have these long campaigns and long, uh, you know, long wars. And basically, in these wars Napoleon fought, it it takes, like, one major victory, and the, the other side's like, fuck it, that's all I got, I'm done. You know, what do you well, want? Because they from have me? most of their forces involved in that one battle. Right, right. And we're going to get into that later how Napoleon changes warfare mm. by kind of doing this because, you know, back then it was basically, here's what I have. I'm just going to throw it at what you have and we'll see who wins today. And then, you know, tomorrow we'll talk about peace and divide up stuff like that. Now, that, that's kind of something uh, that changes, I think, a little bit in World War One, the beginning of World War One, where they stopped. Oh, uh, we fought today. What do you want? What do you want? They hash it out after that. And then it becomes this long, drawn-out fucking just cataclysm. History point. Well, another victory over the Austrians would actually force the Austrians to sign a peace treaty, but that battle wouldn't happen until December of that year. In the meantime, Napoleon returned to Paris, where he continued reforms. He allowed the Catholic Church to return to the rural areas. He instituted educational reforms and created a series of super, super sexist laws that became known as the Napoleonic Code. And this is a code I live by. <laughs> no, not really, not really. Um, but little known fact about it, the Napoleonic Code, it would imprison women for adultery, allow a husband to murder his wife if he got her cheating, and it also prevented women from making legal contracts of any kind. Napoleon literally once said that women, quote, are in fact only machines for making babies. Yeah! Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of these laws came specifically from his relationship with his wife. No, none. Surely none. He's not taking out his aggressions on anybody else. An entire country has to deal with his cuckoldry. No. <laughs> no. I think this was of his own volition. You're right. Uninfluenced by the <laughs> cuckdom that is his life. He comes home, flips on French CNN, whatever it's called. And it shows him signing the bill and just leaves it running on a loop. So when Josephine comes in and sits on the couch, that's all she sees. He's just over there slowly drinking a glass of brandy. He's like, you see that? See what you fucking made me do? <laughs> Well, despite his popularity with most of the citizens, the royalists still hated Napoleon. And these are guys that still wanted the monarchy to return. Ironically, <laughs> we're just about to get their wish, bitch. <laughs> Come on. Throughout 1800, there were multiple attempts on Napoleon's life. On Christmas Eve, a couple of dudes asked a girl to drive their cart. You know, hey, baby, why don't you take this cart down the road? We just want to watch you drive it. Uh, don't worry about that ticking sound you hear in the back and the, the alarm clock hooked up to the TNT. No, without telling her, 
that it was loaded with a lit powder keg. Napoleon and Josephine were on their way to the theater in separate carriages for some reason. I don't know why they were in the same carriage. That's weird. The would-be assassins missed time lighting the fuse, and the cart exploded between Napoleon and Josephine's respective carriages. Just bad timing, man. Just didn't get it. They couldn't Gavrilo Princip it it and come out the subway eating a chicken teriyaki sub and go, oh fuck, there's Napoleon. Pow! Start a war. <laughs> no. And that is from our Franz Ferdinand episode, which uh sixty six. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> episode sixty six. Check her on out. And that one's still available to the non paying public. For now. Oh, never mind. I don't want to advertise it then. (laughs) (laughs) Napoleon used that as an excuse to target the Jacobins and exiled 130 of them to Guyana. His police force then quietly rounded up the actual conspirators and sent them to the guillotine. Sorry, guillotine. Gotcha. (laughs) Gotta say it like Napoleon's ate. You get there over there in that guillotine. (laughs) He's just scratching his fucking balls, (laughs) hand in his pants. He's wearing chaps and nothing else. That's what you get for dissenting. (laughs) Fucking pieces of shit. (laughs) Not my president. Well, following this plot, Napoleon never let it be known where he meant to go more than five minutes before he left. And despite this shit, no American president apparently ever heard about that fucking policy. And was like, well, let's put it in the paper. <laughs> it wasn't worse going to happen. <laughs> let's put our exact route in the paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not long after this, even, that in the same region, Archduke Fran Ferdinand does the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck are these idiots thinking? Going through basically enemy territory. People that did not want to be under Austrian... Uh, well, at that, yeah, I guess that was... Austro-Hungarian rule. It's like they don't even listen to this podcast. Fucking morons. If Abe Lincoln would listen to this podcast, he'd still be alive. Let's get in the convertible, baby. Let your hair down. <laughs> oh, shit, they almost killed us. Let's go back that exact same way. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck, oh, actually, yeah. actually, we weren't supposed to go this way. Let's, let's stop and back up in the street very slowly, because cars reverse <laughs> in half-mile increments. Uh, all I'm saying is everyone from history is stupid. That's all I'm saying. I agree. That's why they're in books. They did dumb things. That's why they're all dead, fucking idiots, and we're alive. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> in February of 1801, Austria officially signed a peace treaty ending the war with the French. Napoleon then began working on a deal with the British. It took a while, and the Brits got bored, and they attacked the French holdings in Egypt. They quickly took Alexandria from France, but the diplomat that was negotiating the peace with Napoleon didn't know that shit. So, Napoleon told that diplomat, hey, uh, you know what? We'll abandon Alexandria, we'll get out of Egypt, you just give us all of our shit back that you guys have taken. Sound like a fair deal? And diplomat's like, oh, fuck yes, we got Egypt! We did it! We did it! And of course, you know, Napoleon didn't, you know, mention... Hey, you know, we, uh, we're kind of already leaving that fucking area. We're kind of fucked anyway, mm-hmm. you know? It's, uh, hey, no big deal. No big deal. It's a good politician. Yeah, it is. A good win, man. It's a win. Turning the L into a W. Yeah. 
Well, Napoleon continued to seek peace treaties. By October, he had made peace with Austria, Naples, Turkey, Russia, and Britain. About the only peace he couldn't obtain was in his colony of San Domingue, which is modern-day Haiti. A slave revolt there had ended slavery and had killed French imports. Napoleon, being the typical online 4chan incel that he is, wanted to return slavery to the island and called for a battle that France would ultimately lose. Did you say online 4chan incel? 4chan online incel, maybe? Is there like a a magazine subscription? (laughs) Like they used to uh, be a part of the 4chan weekly? (laughs) <laughs> for incels? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's got to start somewhere. He didn't just start with the internet. Come on. 4chan's been around for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Okay. Yes. History. Just asking them important questions. History podcast. Yes. But the revolts of San Domingue and its charismatic leader, Toussaint Louverture, also known as Black Spartacus, are worthy of their own episodes, so... We're not going to fucking tell you about it now. Stupids. Got to come back. <laughs> Got him again. Got him fucking again. A year later, in August of 1802, a resolution was passed that made Napoleon the first consul for the entirety of his life. And he did the old George Washington, cool oh, shucks, guys. I don't know, maybe. All right, well, if you say so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And then immediately accepted their decision. Things in France were pretty stable up until 1803. Early in that year, France sold the Louisiana Territory to America because they had no real way of colonizing that territory and they were going to need the funds real soon. And we talked about that. Lewis and Clark episodes, whatever the fuck number that was. There's a couple of them. Yeah. Um, and kind of the same deal he did here to America is what he did to... Uh, Britain with Alexandria, because he had no intentions of doing anything with Louisiana territory. And I'm like, hey, we'll give you three million for it. <laughs> okay, we're no son. I'm fucking need the money. <laughs> I'll suck your dick for a crack rock. <laughs> <laughs> now get up the get up, Napoleon. Thomas Jefferson's like, shut up. We're trying to look cool. Look cool. We're God public. damn it. Merryweather's here. Oh, he can see everything. <laughs> Well, they needed the money because on May 18th, 1803, Britain once again declared war on France. Napoleon began preparing army camps for an invasion of the English mainland and began to wait for favorable winds to take his relatively small navy across the channel. Not small. Keep telling Josephine it's average sized. <laughs> you know, listen. It's regular navy, babe. Come on. It's just a regular navy. Come on. It's all about it, it, I'm, a, I'm a grower. Not sure. I'm just saying. She yeah, doesn't listen to me. You're not the size of the Navy. It's the motion of the gravy, baby. <laughs> no? No? <laughs> well, Napoleon, it just kind of beads up on the tip and then dribbles down. <laughs> Why are you being so critical, baby? <laughs> you're ruining my good time. Oh, you child-ass turkey. Get your ass over to Napoleon. Hmm. Totally, get over to the Nepals. <laughs> the Nepals. Well, jokes aside, little known fact, Napoleon's crossing would never happen, and it never would have worked anyway. Even if he got across, he would have been cut off by the Royal Navy and greatly outnumbered by the English army. 
Later in life, Napoleon would claim he never really wanted to invade anyway. Mm-hmm. That's his go-to. Just, uh, I didn't fucking want to do that. It's fine. I didn't want to, I didn't want to knock on my wife. <laughs> she kept cheating on me. Whatever. And Let's, I wanted her yeah. to do that so that I could uh, yeah. justify a divorce later. Yeah. So. No biggie. I'm kind of a genius. I'm just saying. You seen that bitch's black teeth? Come on, man. <laughs> Over the following year, the war between England and France remained mostly a cold war with only minor skirmishes on neutral ground. Yet another assassination plot was uncovered which involved Britain working together with one of Napoleon's best generals to have him killed. Napoleon said, fake quote, These limey fucks probably wouldn't try and overthrow me if I didn't know I was like something like an animal fuck, fuck man like a king whose heirs take over when he like dies and shit. Or something. I don't know, man. I'm just spitballing. End. Fake quote. The newspapers began running articles that praised monarchs, and pamphlets were published saying the best defense against the Brits and anti-government conspirators would be to create a Napoleonic dynasty. The people thought it sounded like just a peachy, keen idea. And so, on December 2nd, 1804, Napoleon Bonaparte was coronated as the Monarch of France, just a little over a decade after the people of France had cheered when their king was beheaded. And if you remember that episode, they all rushed up there to dip their handkerchiefs in the blood, get their souvenirs. It'll be different this time. Yep, it would be different this time, because instead of becoming king, Napoleon was to become emperor. And that is where I say... We take a break, and I ask you permission to do so because you're the main host, and I'm just kind of here doing my thing, just uh, hanging out. But can we please take a break there? As I stop talking. Emperor host, I will allow it. Alrighty. Well, thank you, sir. We will be right back. Starting now. Alright, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. You had a good time. Just fucking living it up. I'm not jealous of your happiness. <laughs> I can be happy. I'll figure it out someday. Did you do meth? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, one of the complaints you have given me, I'm sorry, one of the notes you have given me is I am low energy, so I'm bringing it back. Bringing it back with you said gusto. that about yourself, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I could see that." Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely what your wife told me. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Greg. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right, yes, we are back, and we are here to tell the second half of the second part of this story. But before we do that, we have to do something else for the second half. And Greg, I think you know what that is. But does the listener? Are we keeping them in suspense? Are we never going to tell them what we're about to do? Or is Wolf Dick going to play the theme immediately after I finish the sentence? Second half salsa. Second half salsa. Second And a three, a two, one pop. 
Yours looks very good. It's all festive, light blue colored, and some sort of punch, I'm guessing. Does it match my eyes? It does. Matches your your Aryan blue eyes, as you like to call them. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you don't put that on me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he said mm, and then made the face oh god I'm dying on the inside it's like fucking poison mm, the first sip it was like oh this is cold water and then I tasted it, it like, oh god oh no what have I it's done foul cold water <laughs> <laughs> very strong cold water well he's gonna enjoy that listener while he tells you the second half of this story well guys and goyles the same month that Napoleon became emperor, the Prime Minister of England, William Pitt, signed an alliance with Sweden. A few months later, they signed another with Russia, and thus the third coalition against France was in place. Soon, Austria and Portugal joined up. At the same time this alliance was building, Napoleon was also crowned as the King of Italy. He obviously couldn't rule two countries at once, so he allowed the vice president of the former Italian Republic to lead the country, but Napoleon's stepson Eugene was appointed viceroy, which made him the de facto ruler of the territory. First time in my life I've seen the word viceroy outside of episode one, The Phantom Menace. I had no really? idea that was a real word. I thought it was just something those weird space reptiles were. Well, it's not like you co-host a history podcast. <laughs> The Austrians began to mobilize their army, which made Napoleon put his futile plans to invade Britain on hold. He knew he had to act quickly because the Russians would soon join the party, and everyone knows once the Ruskies start mobilizing towards Western Europe, things are about to go to shit. It was then that Napoleon created something that would change war for the next century and a half. As Chris and I were talking about earlier, Napoleon realized it was kind of dumb to have your entire military divided up into one or two armies, and then have artillery and cavalry be in separate armies of their own. You, meanwhile, you got the support in the back, all that, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, he created the corps system, in which each 30,000-man corps was like a small army of its own, complete with cavalry, artillery, engineering, and medical sections. Yeah, it seems so basic now. Like, you think about that as in modern terms, anybody's study history whatever you think about world war ii from then on forward you think they never did that before no one thought about this until 1801 like ah oh, you know what what if we didn't just like bum rush everybody with everybody we had what if we kind of like divide this up we could kind of move it in formations wouldn't that be cool <laughs> we couldn't uh, figure this out number one i i'm on the side that napoleon was a military genius yes but number two i I think only in this time can those sort of tactics really take hold. Only then do you have the supply lines capable of doing this while still maintaining kind of a lack of communication, but much better communication than you've had in the past. Right. Yeah, it makes like, sense. I, yeah. I just feel like everything that we fault other armies for and always like the first to figure things out in a certain era, we laud mm -hmm. as these geniuses and, you know, maybe they are. But they're very much a product of that time. It's not like right. they could have implemented this a thousand years earlier and been successful. Right. And um, if you ever study wars, you'll start to notice that at the beginning of every war, 
the guys who are in charge were in charge in the last war, and they do the things the same way they did before. And they get fired. Yeah, and then eventually replaced. So, like, Hannibal versus the Romans, right? Hannibal came up with a double envelopment strategy at Kenai, or Kani, however you want to pronounce it. Kenai. Um, it seems very basic to us today. Like, oh, well, let's just around our enemy, draw them into the middle, and then crush them from the sides and behind. But to those guys, that had never happened before. And every Roman general up to that point had fought a certain way. And then Hannibal introduced them to a new form of warfare. So it's kind of the same thing. Once history moves forward, I mean, that's the most generic fucking basic statement I could ever make on a history podcast. History moves <laughs> forward. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, war changes. Guys adapt to the way guys fought before. And usually the guys we consider to be geniuses are the ones that can think outside the box and say, here's a new plan that will uh, defeat your obvious attack that you're going to use because you used it the last time. You used to you attack somebody. Yeah. And the big thing with Napoleon, I don't feel like I for whatever reason, I don't see it credited a lot is his use of artillery. Yeah. And yeah. that was the big change that made this possible. Number one, obviously just gunpowder in general and it being mm -hmm. kind of an efficient way of fighting. Yeah. More than just a secondary like thing you can put on the battlefield. It became a very primary thing, but the artillery and just being able to mobilize it, that was a big deal. He invents the artillery charge. We'll get a little into that a little bit later. But um, you know, one thing we haven't, we won't really mention in this episode, we haven't really mentioned is how hard Napoleon worked. Dude was up like 20 hours out of the day just thinking about stuff. And you mentioned it last episode, and I completely agree. It, I don't think it matters what era you put Napoleon in. I think he's a military genius. So you put him in modern day, he'll find a way to make modern day militaries more efficient and, you know, come up with better strategies than what most people would come up with. That's what I said. That's what I said. You said that. I oh, was okay. agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you credit. God damn it. Yes, I agree with me. What I said. <laughs> yes, with what you said that agreed with me. <laughs> That's why we're friends. Co-host, I'm sorry. Okay, continue. Well, these cores are, again, like little small armies in themselves, would stay within a day's march of each other, which allowed Napoleon to move them between the front line, the rear guard, or into reserves at the drop of a hat. And he could pivot the army on its axis without confusion. Most military historians believe that the foundation of the core system was the true birth of modern warfare. Yep, that was the first Call of Duty. Everybody knows that. Yeah. And little known fact, <laughs> by 1812, this system would be used by every European army. It would be the dominant way armies were organized up until the very end of World War II. And of course, I know it changed at the end of World War II, but I'm not going to tell you guys. Saving it for another episode. Also, I don't know, but... It changed <laughs> at the end of World War II. <laughs> Napoleon pulled all of his men out of the invasion camps he had built on the English Channel and moved them toward the Austrian front. Ahead of him were 200,000 Austrian soldiers. Luckily for Napoleon, the Austrians had advanced quickly and the Russians were lagging behind, partly because they are historically shit at mobilizing, but also because they used the Julian calendar, which was 11 days behind the main host certified Gregorian calendar, 
which was used by the Austrians. You're welcome. The new corps system allowed Napoleon to march across the Rhine River and then swing a full 90 degrees to the south, which put them behind the Austrian army and simultaneously cut off their path of retreat and the arrival of the Russian army. And strength of the central position, as we talked about last episode. Get in between them. Attack one, attack the other. Yeah, like a truck stop. Gotta move that left leg out of the way. That right leg out of the way. That penis out of the way. (laughs) It's mine now, baby. It's like you pick the center shower, and then it's like, well, don't want the guy on the left or the right first. It doesn't matter, because the guy on the right won't know what I'm doing with the guy on the left until I'm done. Then I'll swing back over. It's a much better analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Napoleon was so assured of victory that he said, There is no further premise to negotiate with the Austrians, except with cannon fire. That's a a metal moment. I think we need to do a certified, hunter-proof history metal moment every episode. We need to work that in. Because that's that's definitely one of them. Alright, metal moment. Despite that claim... It only took two minor battles before Napoleon had surrounded one Austrian army at Ulm. The Austrian general said he'd surrender if the Russians didn't arrive within 21 days. Napoleon said that the Austrian general could have six days, at which point that Austrian general surrendered his force of 25,000 men and 59 field guns. Of course, Napoleon never told the Austrian general he was super low on supplies and couldn't have held out 21 days anyway. This motherfucker, he needs to run that Pawn Stars pawn shop. Uh, you know, I really, I gotta make a profit on this deal, so, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, Prussia, you tell me it's worth seven million, but I'll give you six bucks. I got a buddy who's an expert on Prussians, and he's gonna come in later today and just fuck your world. Like, I feel like that's how Napoleon would operate. And there's no way that this guy favors my opinion over yours. It's not like I constantly <laughs> use him and he does this for money or anything. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not the case. It's not like his business gains millions of dollars every year because of the exposure I give him on this popular history channel TV show. <laughs> You're an idiot. I'm going to rob you blind, you fucking idiot. <laughs> What's Chum Lee doing? <laughs> Meth. Yeah, there it is. Unfortunately for Napoleon, way over in the Atlantic, off the coast of Spain, the Brits were destroying the French and Spanish combined naval fleet at the Battle of Trafalgar. This loss led to British dominance of the seas for the next hundred years. But instead of giving up on his British invasion plans, Napoleon ordered the French government to throw a small fortune into building a brand new fleet. And little known fact, Napoleon wouldn't actually know about the defeat at Trafalgar for like weeks after... It happened, and weeks after his victory at Ulm, he ordered such complete and total censorship of the defeat that the majority of France wouldn't actually hear about it for the first time until the year 1814. Which is an important year. Is it? Well, I don't know. No, I don't know. No, probably Ah, not. Probably not. I probably made that up. Random year. Like, it, it finally got leaked to the Washington Post by Deep Throat. Like, oh, we got him. We got him. Meanwhile, Napoleon continued to march into Austria. He took the city of Vienna without a fight by spreading fake news that the Austrian government had surrendered. By November, he had pushed onward to the village of Austerlitz. By this time, the Russians had finally joined in on the fun, 
and the combined Russian and Austrian force totaled over 80,000 soldiers. The Russians sent over an envoy to allow Napoleon to surrender, an offer that he, of course, refused. But at the time, the Russian envoy noticed that it looked as if the French were getting ready to retreat. And, you know, this, of course, was all by design. Napoleon's plan was to move part of his army into place, attack the Russians and Austrians, and then, when he spotted a weakness in their lines, he'd send in his reserves to exploit it. The Battle of Austerlitz took place on December 2nd, 1805, and it worked exactly as Napoleon had planned. By 2 p.m., the Russians and Austrians were in full retreat across a frozen lake. The French gave chase and cut them down by the thousands, because neither the Austrians nor the Russians wore armor on their backs. I couldn't get killed running away. Fuck you, bitch. I'm Austrian. We fight. We win. We don't run. Smash cut two. <laughs> There's just a guy that's been training to run backwards as fast as he can. <laughs> He's retreating, but his face is towards the army. <laughs> My God, he would win an Olympic medal for that backwards retreat. <laughs> the French then took the rest of the winter off, and Napoleon went to work establishing stronger relationships with his allies by installing his brothers into governing roles. His brother Joseph, for instance, was made king of Naples. Unfortunately for Napoleon, all of his brothers were fucking idiots and sucked at governing, and that would cause him nothing but headaches for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and here we run into the problem with micromanagers, because that's what Napoleon was, and we've talked about that oh, in the yeah. last episode. He wanted control of everything, and then he gives control to somebody else, and they don't know what the fuck to do. They have no idea what to do. And we're like, Daddy, Daddy, the people are revolting. Like, well, uh, fuck, okay, uh, here's what you do, here's how you handle this. We'll just take a little money out of your trust fund. We'll send it over to you. You'll be fine. We'll be, have, are you are you doing the cocaine again, Joseph? Uh, <laughs> daddy, <laughs> that's not important. Stop asking questions. Tell me, Daddy. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I have a country to run to. I'm just saying. I got a whole fucking French empire to run. You're over there fucking around in Naples. Uh, it's not even a real country anymore. It's... Part of Italy, you fucking idiot. Jesus Christ, I hate my life. That is what happens when you micromanage. You're welcome. I like that he made his brother call him daddy. <laughs> Wait, you weren't supposed to call your older brother daddy? Can we can we take a break so I can call my older brother? Just I gotta straighten some shit out. Just real quick. And we're back. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, Greg, for that. Um, don't worry, I'll still call you daddy. Continue, main host daddy. Well, during this time, Napoleon also began to take several mistresses. One of them was 17-year-old Eleanor de Plagne, who became pregnant with Napoleon's love child in early 1806. Napoleon told her to keep the kid a secret and had her marry an army lieutenant who was probably confused as fuck when the emperor gave him and his new wife a substantial dowry. <laughs> huh? Why, why does she do it? Don't worry, babe. Don't worry. Yeah. Kid comes out with a button penis, and he, his first words are, let's take over Prussia. He's like, what is this child? 
Baby, can I get a, a little oral play? I've been sworn not to do that. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm going to go on Lay Mori so we can see if this is my child. Lay Mori. <laughs> In July of that year, Napoleon officially put an end to the ancient Holy Roman Empire when he created the Confederation of the Rhine which was a coalition of 16 Germanic states that would be allied to and protected by the French. This, along with the arrest and execution of an anti-Napoleonic German writer, pissed the Prussians right the hell damn crap off. They told Napoleon to get out of the Germanic states by October, or else there will be hell to pay. Of course, Prussian leader Frederick William did this without telling Russia, Britain, or Austria like an idiot. His generals also consolidated their armies in cities like idiots, which allowed the French to move into Prussia without so much as a fight. After a few short, small battles, the Prussians were forced to retreat to the town of Jena, where the two forces met on October 14, 1806. Similarly to his victory at Austerlitz, Napoleon used his reserve forces to flank the Prussians, and the battle was won by early afternoon. The Prussians fled in complete disarray. This time, Napoleon and his army gave chase for six miles, slaughtering and capturing thousands of Prussian troops. Their pursuit maneuver was so precisely executed that it's still taught in military academies to this day as an example of how to maximize victories. Yes, and, Greg, little-known fact. Unbeknownst to Napoleon, he wasn't fighting the main Prussian army. Another French general named DeVoe had stumbled upon the main Prussian army and had defeated them by doing a Kanai-style double envelopment. Napoleon praised him privately, but he wasn't going to let that victory overshadow his own at Jena. Yeah, good point. Yes, I did it. I made a good point. Thank you, main host daddy. <laughs> that fall, as Napoleon was marching east into Poland, he found his army bogged down in mud and rain. This gave him time to write up what were known as the Berlin Decrees. See, this whole time England had a blockade around the French and their allies, and it was seriously hampering their ability to import and export goods. So Napoleon said, Fuck you, England. You don't blockade me. I blockade you. <laughs> the Berlin Decrees made it illegal to trade or correspond with Britain. All British citizens were to be considered prisoners of war, all British warehouses were to be seized, and no trade could be conducted with British colonies. And this extended not only to Napoleon's empire, but his allies as well. Yeah, this is called the Continental System, and he would, like you said, impose it upon his allies and anyone who became allied with him going forward. Well, it was wildly unpopular and largely ignored, especially inside, like, mainland France. Mm-hmm. Even his wife, Josephine, bought smuggled British goods on the black market. That winter was the harshest the French army had ever experienced. They found that there was little grain in Poland, let alone enough that could support two armies at war. 40% of his army defected at one time, and it was estimated by Christmas upwards of 100 of his soldiers had committed suicide. It's because they couldn't get a PS5, because scalpers had taken them all. Fucking bastards. Those fucking assholes, right? Those dicks. Well, it wasn't all bad for Napoleon, because it was around that time that he met his favorite mistress of all, 
a 20-year-old Polish girl named Marie Kolona Walewska. He instantly fell in love with her and gave her diamonds and jewels and spent all of his time with her. Even though by then Josephine had joined him in Poland. You know, and that's how it goes. He just nonstop (laughs) wants her in fucking Italy. And then it's like, you know what? All right, I'm done with your shit. And all of a sudden, she's just around all the time. Mm -hmm. That's what happens to us nice guys. Isn't it, Chris? (laughs) Isn't it? I don't don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking Ah! about. (laughs) In February, the French once again met the Russians in battle in the city of Eilau. This battle wasn't such a cakewalk for the French, and Napoleon made a tactical error by sending his troops into the city itself. They would claim it and hold off Russian counterattacks, but it came at quite the cost. When Napoleon entered the city on horseback, it was nearly impossible for him to move down the streets without his horse stepping on a corpse. And he uh, he allegedly wept while he's going through the town on his horseback. And it made everyone just feel so bad for him that he had to walk around all those corpses. This poor guy. Poor Napoleon. Those widows were like, oh, I'm sorry, you had to see my husband there with his guts splayed out on the street of Eilau. Must have been so hard for you, guy who makes 500,000 francs a year to stay in the back and watch people attack and die in a city. That must be, that must have been real hard. Oh, he was must making been, that well before this point. Uh, yeah, That's when he was yeah, first he's consul. He's yeah, he's richer now. now. Yeah. God damn. Well, it would take a few more months before the French would force the Russians and Prussians into peace. This time, the battle was in the Polish city of Friedberg, and it was a complete rout. The French artillery was able to move up and maneuver onto the Russian flank, and it obliterated their soldiers. And that's what you mentioned before, the, the artillery charge. On July 7th, a peace treaty was signed in which Prussia got royally fucked by Napoleon and Tsar Alexander of Russia. Most nights, Frederick William of Prussia wasn't even invited to join the negotiations. He totally got cucked. He got cucked so hard. Yeah, he got cucked out of negotiations for sure. Yeah. (laughs) When Napoleon later looked back on his life, he would say that it was at this point that he was probably his happiest. He had won every major conflict he had ever fought in. France was prospering, and he was in love with every fine young thing with a booty that he came across. And of course... That should tell you that his happiness is about to take a steep nosedive off a cliff. But you'll have to wait until next week to hear about that. End of this part of the story. (laughs) Woo! We sort of done it so far. (laughs) We are 66.6666666667% done with the story. And you guys can't wait for that last 33.33333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
euthanized by giving them a fatal dose of laudanum. Future British historians would twist this into proof that Napoleon was unnecessarily cruel to his own men. Fast fact number two. After becoming first consul, Napoleon took up residence in the palace and brought in statues of all of his role models and heroes, including Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Hannibal, Frederick the Great, and American Jesus, George Washington. Fast fact number three. The Berlin Decrees that Napoleon signed in an effort to suppress the British economy forced the Brits to up their own blockade game. They soon used the blockade to stop all imports to France from neutral countries. This policy, combined with the fact that they kidnapped Americans and forced them to serve in the Royal Navy, led to the War of 1812 between the U.S. and Britain. Fast Fact Number 4 Surprisingly, the sexist incel Napoleon wasn't much of a considerate lover. Imagine that. One mistress, an opera singer named Grassini, said that his, quote, caresses were on the furative side, end quote. And even Napoleon told his aides that sex shouldn't take more than three minutes. My man. To which I agree. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find us on social media at 100 Proof History. That's 100 Proof History. Mostly on the Instagram. That's where we like to hang out the most. Uh, you can also check out our website, 100proofhistory.com, and there you will find information on our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you get early access to new episodes and the entire back catalog of all our episodes and many episodes released just for those guys. Over 100 things that you can hear and regular people, they don't get access to that kind of stuff. <laughs> Fuck them. All right. Next week, we're going to wrap this shit up. We're going to tell the end of Napoleon's life. Tell you the end of his story. Uh, for Wolf Dick, our esteemed producer. Dan, our intro guy. I am Chris, your co-host. And our main host, Greg. Greg, what else? Josephine. Please call me back, baby. I won't make you peg me anymore. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Earbuds out of the corner of my eyes look like studs that you have in your ears. (laughs) Out of the corner of your eye, I'm the only stud you see, bitch. (laughs) Yeah, because fat guys have all the testosterone. <clears throat> and anti-government conspirators. Did I say something weird? <laughs> Did I say something <laughs> Like a Lixardo cherry. Is it racist to tell somebody yes. that was mighty... <laughs> <laughs>